from the city of brotherly love and the great state of Ohio, this is Dadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. We got to talk about WandaVision. We, we, we have to talk about WandaVision. It has been how many weeks that we have not talked about WandaVision? I feel like we have been very disciplined and restrained in not talking about WandaVision up till now. I think we need to be we need to be honest. All cards on the table. It is March fourth as we record this, the only day of the year which is also a command. Oh, mm, I'm going to be sitting up tonight thinking about that one. Um, so yes, it is March fourth, which means that the series finale for WandaVision is tomorrow, and we don't know how it ends yet. That's right. That's right. If you're listening to us, you know how it ends. By the oh. time you hear us, we know how it ends. But just now, this recorded Mike and JC do not know how it ends. And, and, and I want to be clear, I am taking tomorrow afternoon off, which means that my wife and I will watch the final WandaVision probably around noon so that I can go back to looking at the internet because I'm not going to be able to look at the internet tomorrow. It just gets to be such a mess. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I will, I am not going to stay up until 3 a.m. Eastern for when it drops, but this is a time when I've considered that. And brother, they have a lot of business to, to, to close, to complete in this episode. So this is my big fear, right? So not without become, becoming a, a Marvel fan cast here. Uh, I had this talk with, uh, with my wife the other night. There are so many loose ends right now. And if I start to enumerate them, I will start to panic a little bit because if there's something that I need from this right now in the world we live in today, I need for them to stick the landing on this. I really, really do. Yeah, there's kind of a there's kind of a hopes and dreams of an entire nation are are pinned on you, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I'd say it's probably exacerbated by the fact, I mean, you've just now started The Mandalorian, yes? This is the way. Yes, this is the way, brother. So um, when we got to the end of season two of The Mandalorian, I mean, that was that was insanity is what that was. It was just crazy town. Um, you haven't gotten to the end, so I'm not going to spoil it, but you've probably already seen the internet. So I mean, no, 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 no. Okay. I'm not. I'm not looking. Okay. Well, if you're not looking, then you've got something very exciting at the end to look forward to. And the thing is, like. I feel like Pavlovian responses are what they are. That Disney Plus thing. Now we've had the Mando, and the Mando has been very, very good to us. Man, they've got to stick it at least as hard as 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 they did on the Mando because uh, John Favreau, you know, kicked off the Marvel universe, took on the Star Wars thing. There, I mean, there's a legacy here. There's a legacy, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been you and I have been talking through the WandaVision season about, uh, uh, you know, just just some excellent, excellent character development, um, you, you know, some really amazing actors that they brought to the project. I mean, Catherine Hahn, oh, Catherine Hahn, Catherine, this, this is also not going to be a Catherine Hahn fanboy podcast, but it kind of is it a little bit is it doesn't have to not be that. It, it doesn't have to not be a Catherine Hahn yeah. fanboy podcast. I want to go ahead and just say that I called it like the first time she was on screen. I was like, uh-huh. 
And, and my wife didn't believe me and that's fine. That's okay. I didn't see all the twists, but I did see one. So I feel, I feel accomplished in that regard. Well, and I also want to call out that like, I, I think part of the reason we want so badly for this last episode to stick the landing is that, is that whether or I, I think they set out to do this in advance, but kind of like us with deadline, it became something else in the process. Yeah. Um, you know, they really show their cards in the penultimate episode uh, um, and, and, you know, and made clear that this is a reflection on grief. Yes. I mean, it, it really has been sort of stepping through that, right? And it's not the first time we've seen that in the MCU, the whole, you know, the process of grief. But this is one where the whole, the whole series has been walking its way through this monumental moment in the lives of these characters and where they place the series. And I think this is fairly common knowledge. You know, this is happening right after the blip is over. So after all of these people come back into the world, you know, it's, it, it would be a monumental time and it would be something that changes you know, the way people look at it and the way they think about it. And I think you're right. Um, much like our little program, it has been something that took on a, a life that was maybe different from what was intended originally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll also say like, I, I was never a comic book person coming up. So like, so like I come to these things, both the star Wars universe and the Marvel universe, like you were saying episode nine and star Wars, you have to have read many things Ugh. for that movie to make sense. And I, so I got much homework. I got like 15 minutes into it the other day and I was just like, you know what? No, no, like, you I, don't I, need I, it. Nope. No, haven't watched it. No. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've never been a comic pr- book person. The form of graphic novels is something that, with rare exception, it hasn't done much for me. Where I'm going with this is, the, I there, there have been these moments in the Marvel movies and programs where there's an emotional depth and resonance that catches me by surprise. Um, and I'm sure that it's there in in the comic books because there's this hugely rich source material. Like you have writers like Ta-Nehisi Coates who have been involved in recent years. I, like I, I know that they have the goods, but it, it's just been stunning to see how they've approached this with WandaVision. It's just it's just amazing. Like, yeah, fine. It's a comic book TV show and it's sci-fi and there's like, you know, explosions and stuff. But wow. I mean – it packs a punch. I also think it's neat that it happens once a week. Like we're back to watching TV like when we were kids and you can't just like grab it whenever you want and binge it. I, I like that it's doled out like week on week. I, I love that. Yeah. I think that's I think that's very smart. Disney Plus does it. Hulu does it with some of their series. Um, and we've also been talking about like the, just the explosion of limited series. Yeah. Uh, as a thing. Right. So, you know, in the old days in network world, like the standard issue was 22 episodes for a season, um, which is exhausting, uh, for the team that's involved in producing it. Um, you know, and that, and that often shows, uh, in, you know, when you go back and, and watch, you know, something that was produced in a classic network order, like, you know, the writing team is scrabbling to come up with ideas and plot development is challenging, but with something like WandaVision, you can sit and actually write the whole season before you start production, right. um, you know, meaning you get to drop all the Easter eggs in and you get to fully develop all the plot lines again, raising the stakes on our expectation that they <laughs> stick the landing. Well, at that, and you don't get the clip episode, 
right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't get the clip episode. You don't, you don't tend to get the bottle episode for cost reasons. Yeah. You know, it's kind <laughs> of a, kind of a different vibe, by the way, by the way, this is the 22nd episode of deadline. We, where's Paramount? Have they called you? They didn't call me. I've got like 12 voicemails on my phone. I should listen. You should, you should check, check that out. Maybe, maybe. Hey, uh, the other thing I was noticing was I was looking at the calendar the other day. Um, and Why'd just you so do I, that? What did you I, do that for? Well, time the, has no meaning, sir. Time has no meaning. And why does it have no meaning? Well, it was about this time last year that my daughter's birthday party was canceled because the world had to shut down. Hang on. Hang on a second. I know correlation and causation are not the same thing, but your daughter's birthday party was canceled and like within six weeks you lived in Ohio. Right. <laughs> That they're not entirely related, but I'm not going to say they're unrelated. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of things changed really fast. And we are now, of course, um, as you know, uh, she's coming up on her birthday. And it's a momentous birthday. And she's going to spend it locked up with us like she has every other day for almost the last solid year. So this is the COVID-versary. It is the COVID-versary. And, you know, in wedding anniversary terms, the first anniversary is uh, paper. That's the traditional gift. Um, and I I don't know what you get the pandemic that has it all. Well, I mean, toilet paper is the go-to joke, right? Yeah, like, that's okay. the easy one. Right. Yep, that's um, true. You know what's a piece of paper that's an artifact of this thing? It's a little index card from the CDC. Oh. Ah, ah, that's the that's the COVID gift everybody needs this year, isn't it? Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. So, and again, going back to where we started, uh, we didn't expect this to be a program that was so heavily impact impacted by a a pandemic that consumed the entire planet. And you know, I will say, in the beginning of maybe the last third we're kind of coming around the corner i feel like um as we're as we're speaking you know we've got three vaccines in play um production is ramping up on those now let's be very clear vaccines don't mean that it goes away and it doesn't mean that we don't have to be careful and it doesn't mean that you can't incubate this nasty bug while you've been vaccinated you know these things all can happen um we really have pushed through a rather singular time haven't we we have we have indeed. And, you know, we've talked so much over the last year uh, in the podcast about what this has meant for us as dads, uh, what it's meant for our families, what it's meant for the friendships that we that you and I enjoy and that we enjoy with other people. Um, you know, and we decided at the beginning of this season that we wanted to just focus on isolation and community because we were feeling so isolated, so challenged uh, uh, in, you know, in being in community with other people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the tricky thing now is like, you know, we've got to live through this, this gray zone where, you know, some people are going to be able to hang out together and some people still kind of aren't. And, you know, like, like I can see that we've got months ahead that are, that are like a, you know, that last third is, is a little tricky. It's yeah. Yeah. It's really where things are made or broken. Right. I actually had a dream last night about like being on a flight, uh, uh, an international flight and, 
like the flight crew making an announcement basically saying because everybody has to be vaccinated to fly and because we have to be vaccinated to serve you, you can all go ahead and take off your masks now. You started by saying it was a dream. And then you said international flight. And that, my friend, takes us into nightmare territory. This is no longer a dream. How do you feel about regional jets, JC? Fire a, of a thousand suns. Let, right? let me tell you, I got onto, I, I climbed on to an RJ45, which are the little two by twos. And I was sitting uh, by the window, which I hate. I hate the window seat. And the entire plane was full, packed full. There was one seat open. That seat was next to me, Michael. I was almost to the promised land. I looked up and coming down the aisle toward me was a gentleman of almost exactly my dimensions. My jacket's a 54, Michael. It's a 54. Yeah, it is. This guy looked at his, his ticket. He looked at me and he looked at the floor and he walked back. And he, I, I made myself as small as I could and he plopped down into the seat next to me and he looked at me and he said, hi, I'm Tim. I said, hi, Tim, I'm JC. And he said, we're going to be snuggling for the next hour and a half, aren't we? I said, yes, sir. Yes, we are. He's like, okay. All right. You need anything? I was like, no, Tim, I, I don't need anything. He's like, okay. All right. I'm going to try to buckle my, okay. You just, you buckle up, Tim. Well, we're going to be okay. And we literally, like I sleep farther away from my wife on an average night than I sat with this guy for an hour and a half on that plane. It was horrific, Michael. Those planes are always steamy. You notice that? No. It's just like, because the, 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 the like ratio of humans to space. It's not okay. It's mm. not okay. It's not okay. I do not enjoy it. So let's talk about REM. Shiny, happy people. Shiny, happy people. Athens, Athens, Georgia, associated with the new wave, but not really a part of it. Um, I, I full, full disclosure, I've never actually asked you your feelings about REM. Um, it's complicated. It's okay. very, very complicated because when, I w- when REM was on the radio, you have to remember that I was uh, – you know, in my teens, I was studying the guitar as an instrument. I was studying it seriously, and I was neck deep in prog rock, which meant that every time I heard Peter Buck pick up a guitar, I had to criticize it. Yeah, well, and it was criticizable because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like a, a, a trained musician. No, no, not at all. And again, I should I should hasten to add that I have uh, played music with some really amazing players who were not trained, can't read music, um, never had anybody show them anything more than three chords in the truth, and it's amazing. Um, but when you're 16 and insufferable, mm, you know. So I was in my teens when when REM released Out of Time and Automatic for the People. Yes. And... Among among REM fans, Automatic for the People is generally considered like the peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the masterwork. Um, and so I, my kids gave me uh, uh, a a book. Uh, let's call it a biography of the band called REM Perfect Circle. Okay. Um, and I was reading that in recent weeks, and you know, couple of couple of things that were that were interesting to me. I mean, first off. As a relatively casual fan, I never saw them perform uh, uh, in concert. Um, Never actually made it out to an REM show. Um, I didn't know much about their origins. I I sort of thought that they and the B-52s, like, 
you know, must have been hanging out. And I did not realize that they were actually like part of separate circles in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the B-52s kind of had an earlier start. They, 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 and went off to New York. They're, they, they kind of like came from Athens, but went off and, and got embedded in the New York art scene. Right. Which explains like how weird they got. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it all kind of makes sense. I mean, you kind of get like, they they would have been there just on the heels of like the talking heads and things that were coming out of the seventies and into the early eighties. So yeah, I mean, it kind of, it, it, there's definitely a lineage there. There's a line you can draw. REM had some, some parallels with the Beatles that I had not ever known or considered. Um, my favorite one being, I, I did not realize like they toured the Southeast just incessantly in their early years. Yeah. They were constantly on the road, constantly playing shows. They were first and foremost a live band. They were writing songs constantly, um, and and you know they just like they just like go out on stage for a show and just like reel off three new songs they'd written in the last twenty four hours. Right. Um, that was that was their aesthetic, and so in the same way that you know the Beatles famously played their ten thousand hours in Hamburg, um, REM was was like this anomaly they were you know they were this band that wasn't like leonard skinnerd or something playing all over the southeast not playing like classic southern rock um and rolling up the college radio audience you know like they were kind of the only they were the only local ones uh, right who were playing that market yeah they were and they were killing it too right mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. they were they were famously very very good live uh, uh especially in the early going um, you, you know, I, I, I think, I think there's two other, there's two other things, uh, uh, that, that I took away from, from reading the book that were, that were super interesting. One of them was I had not appreciated, like they did this absolute blockbuster recording deal with Warner records, Yeah. um, of which, of which out of time and automatic for the people were the first two of the five album deal that they did. Right. Um, the 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 like guaranteed payout to the band from that deal no one no one disputes it so this is how we know it's true was 80 million dollars yeah. eight zero million dollars in 1990 which is just a gigantic amount of money and the book and the book makes clear that it wasn't a fluke that they were they were a very business savvy group yeah um you, you know they they weren't sort of like you know, pop sugary commercial, uh, in the, in the way that we, you know, sort of, uh, diss, uh, other artists. Um, but they were very commercially savvy about managing the band. Um, they were often compared to the Rolling Stones. Mm, right, right, right. Um, Who famously had a couple of them went to the, uh, London school of economics. Right? Yeah. Mick Jagger, the uh, front man of the, one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Also, you know, largely an accountant. Um, <laughs> But knew how to carry the one like a champion. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing, the other thing that was interesting to me, you know, um, uh, Bill Berry, the drummer, uh, retired from the band in the late nineties after he had suffered an aneurysm that nearly killed him, brain aneurysm. Um, and it's just interesting. Like, I don't know, as a, as a casual fan, I, you know, not knowing much about a band, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize how, like how active and restless Peter Buck has been to the, to this day. Like he's been, you know, involved in a bunch of other bands and projects and stuff. Bill Berry, meanwhile, I think, you know, 
like clocked out in like 1998 or so and has just been on his farm in Georgia since then. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Both of those things speak to me, sir. Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. There's there's definitely something to be said for um the I guess I would I would say like the the Dave Grohls of the world, right? Like you come out of like this enormous band and you just go to do something else. You go you go find the next thing you want to chase and or you know, flip side, yeah, maybe kind of just taking a minute and parking it on the farm for a bit. That, that doesn't sound awful. I mean, I I could make that work. <laughs> so we've been at this now for, as you said, twenty two episodes. What's what's the what's your favorite moment so far? One of one of the things that I will treasure from doing this is the episode for Father's Day at the end of season one, uh, where we reached out to where we interviewed each other's wives uh, and we reached out to other wives and moms uh, that we knew have been listening. Um, I, I, that's one of those. I'm glad that we have that uh, um, recorded for posterity. Likewise, uh, the interview that that we did with Liz Mosley earlier this season is something that I'm glad that I have. You know, we've gotten <laughs> the tone of the pilot episode is not similar to what we did after that. Um, and we got shaded a little bit for sounding like a knockoff 99% invisible. Um, <laughs> yes, but, we did. But that was a that was a proof of concept for, for me, especially like I, I wanted to, you know, I, I've, I've had this daydream for years and years of doing a radio show. And, you know, to put that episode together and make a thing and, and make it real and put it out there was really satisfying for me. How about you? Well, see, and, and I do want to comment on that because I thought it was fantastic. And I really enjoyed that that whole interview vibe. It had a very it had a very specific flavor to it. And I was, you know, yeah, it was a proof of concept. It's the the first thing you do on your way out the door. It was, you know, a, a, a line in the sand, if you will. This is where we're going to start. Um I, but I, I thought it was fantastic. You're very um, kind, sir. Oh, not at all. I, I think I have really enjoyed the episodes uh, where we've just gotten to kind of screw around with, with our buddies. Um, our catching up with uh, with Marcus, and then uh, again for me personally, being able to uh, catch up with Marcellus on the geocaching front and finding yeah. out that maybe there are nerds out there that can compete with ham radio nerds quite frankly i realize that he uh he thinks that geocaching is cooler because someone might shop at rei first but i think i know better his uh his visiting all the counties thing is is still i find that deeply unsettling i i mean impressive but unsettling it you just spend a little time on that blog and you can just sit and scroll that thing forever um it's it's impressive, and I I keep hoping that he does actually put out like a coffee table book um, mm. because it would be really nice to have like a physical artifact of that. But you know maybe that's a future project for him. Who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I also have to say about that episode, we left five minutes on the cutting room floor talking about Waffle House with Marcellus, and that's a an enduring regret of mine. I, I will say, as the person who edited, uh, it was more than five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. we dropped that. We dropped a good forty minutes of Waffle House out of that episode. <laughs> like, I remember sitting there uh, editing the the episode early one morning and kind of just I kept going and I kept thinking, all right, where do I come back in? Where do I come back? Nope, still we're still talking about Waffle House. Why are we still talking? <sighs> yes, I love Waffle House too, Michael. Can we be done with Waffle House? 
In fairness, it was Marcellus who told that long story. Oh, but so funny. And, and, and crushing to leave out because it would have literally doubled the size of the program. <laughs> Um, I do have to say, though, uh, in terms of, of, you know, sort of the way we put it together and the way that we did it and sort of the way that evolved, like, I will say, I miss the way we did it originally when we would both get into the same room and sort of sit across the table from each other. Um, the the pandemic kind of quickly killed that, but, you know, that was a, a also, really... Also, one of us moved to Ohio? Well, I didn't move until after the pandemic, as we already mentioned. <clears throat> Yeah, you rage quit Pennsylvania after your daughter's <laughs> birthday party got canceled. I did. I rage quit Pennsylvania. That's the way to look at it. Um, but yeah, I did enjoy when we could be in the same room and have these these conversations. Yeah. It seemed like um, it was almost easier to to play off of. But I feel like our transition to you know sort of a, a distance model wasn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, you and I are two brain in a jar guys, right? Like yeah. that's that's how our professional careers have developed. So we we know how to do this. Um, but yeah, I miss you too, JC. JC, as you might be aware, this podcast is called Dadline, uh, and we started out uh, with a phone number for people to call in. Yes. Uh, and we read out that phone number at the end of every episode. Every episode, yes. Uh, as of this point in the life of the podcast, f- relatively few people have called that phone number. Um, but but I wanted to I wanted to just talk about it for a second because it, it's a it's just a fun little side thing. So I use a voice over IP service, uh, which I will not name for cybersecurity reasons. And when I was setting up the phone number for uh, the deadline, the service has this great feature where you can put in digits that you want in the phone number, Ooh. and then it will return available numbers, uh, uh, you know, that that contain those digits. So. I don't know. Hopefully people have picked up on this by now, but the last four digits spelled dads. <laughs> three, two, three, seven is dads on the phone. Um, and, uh, and, and it was awesome because like I put in three, two, three, seven as a set of digits that I wanted in the phone number. And, uh, and it, and it spit back a whole bunch of choices. And I went with the four, one, two, because that was a little shout out to, um, Pittsburgh where, uh, I went to college. The voicemail uh, thing that's there um, actually like takes people's messages and then emails them to me. My my favorite bit about this little piece of tech, as far as the podcast is concerned, is that I can leave it out there indefinitely, like for free. Like I only pay for you know the minutes that are used when people actually call in and make a recording, and um, you know, and it's like I don't know, one point two cents a minute or something like that. I'm sort of of a mind that I'm just going to leave the deadline number out there because, you know, we'll leave the podcast uh, up uh, on services, you know, so people can access it in the future. And 
um, you know, it would be hilarious to me, like if we, you know, suddenly got messages years from now. Um, and I also feel like if that were the case, that we might feel compelled to respond to those messages with additional episodes. It would, it would be almost like the Voyager probe that just keeps on going and keeps on going. It called home not long ago. So, you know, we had to answer. So, Michael, when I was in college, my roommate uh, at one point actually left out on his desk a book about backward masking. So the the process of supposedly encoding messages in recordings, primarily of music, uh, that when played backwards would give sinister messages. Um, and I, I remember this book specifically because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the police. I really enjoy their music. Um, there was something in there about this, that, or the other, and it said at the end of the little chapter on the police, well, I think the moral is watch out for the police. And I, I said, I thought this is the most ridiculous book by the most ridiculous person. But backward masking is definitely fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my favorite variation on it. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Ian Copeland, who was running IRS Records, yeah. is the brother of Stuart Copeland. That is true. And Ian Copeland signed REM to IRS Records back in the day. This is a long way to go to once again mention that the A&M in A&M records that signed the police was Herb Albert. Oh yeah, it was Tijuana brass, buddy. Every time you uh -huh. hear that, you can say Roxanne. Anyway. Uh, -huh. uh, so, so my favorite variation on backward masking is the technique that they used in the TV show, twin peaks. Mm -hmm. When they would go to, what was it? The, the white lodge. Yes. The white lodge. And you would have the guy who was dancing across the room, and he and he said this. And there's the worst music in here. And I learned afterward that what they were doing is they were taking the line that he was going to read, and they would play it backwards at normal speed, and then they would have him record the line backwards as he had heard it. So he would mimic his himself speaking backwards and then they would take his backwards spoken line and they would reverse that. And that's what would end up in the show. You can only do that in a show created by David Lynch. That's the only place you're allowed to do that. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, only there. What if we did it here for a second? We could try it. All right. So, Let's let's demonstrate. Let's first let's demonstrate classic backward masking technique. Okay. That's the law. And now we're going to do the super disturbing David Lynch version of it. I Well, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there are a lot of audio engineers that are sitting out there shaking their heads thinking, Ugh, really, really, this is what is we're the, doing right now. Is this another one where your dad's going to call you afterward and ask if you're okay? Uh, probably. I mean, <laughs> I mean, probably. Uh, I'll be honest. No, it's it's one of those where, uh, you know, you listen to certain albums, like you'll hear a Steely Dan album come on and you'll think to yourself, how much cocaine went into that album, do you think? Mm, the answer being like a wheelbarrow's worth. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right that's the only place you get things like this i mean well outside of again 
maybe a Pink Floyd situation because I, I just get this feeling Roger Waters is just that that precise. I think he's just that locked in. I don't know. I don't think he needed any cocaine. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I guess somewhere out there is probably a, a, like a doctoral thesis that's, you know, which has a title like, um, you know, Colombian deforestation and prog rock recordings. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I mean, having looked at my own thesis recently because I was moving boxes. Yeah, it's, it's possible. We'd like to hear your stories of bizarro graduate theses uh, that are a, a feature of your own personal history. Give us a call on the dad line. The phone number is area code 412-684-DADS. That's plus one, 412-684-3237. Operators are not standing by because they're off re-watching Twin Peaks, but you can go ahead and leave us a message anytime in the future and we'll pick it up. And don't forget to subscribe to Dadline wherever it is you get your podcasts. Remember, every time you subscribe, a $20 bill goes through the wash. Um, hmm. No? Did you know the Canadians, when they switched over to plastic money, had, had like, you know, people started realizing that if you put your money through the dryer, it melts into a hard little plastic ball and it's useless? Wow. We should subscribe to Dadline uh, because every time you do, a woodchuck eats another pencil? No. Do woodchucks eat pencils? I mean, I'm sure a woodchuck would if a woodchuck could. I walked into that. (laughs) This is a dad show. It's where's Caleb? Get Caleb in here. (laughs) Somebody get Caleb. We're trying to get people to subscribe. Oh, no. You know what? Every time you subscribe, someone finds out who shot JR. <laughs> <laughs>